0: of the postcast production of the cast for Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming Beat Writer for the Star Tribune, Now I'm joined by our Managing Editor and former Wyoming Beat Nick, Brandon Foster. Brandon, word.
1: Hey Davis, how's uh, your March
0: Madness treating you? Uh, not great. I'm not an Oral Roberts fan, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I can't, can't say that I saw that, that, uh, that Sweet 16 run coming, but You know, at at this point, at this point of the bracket, man, it's just like you know, just have as many Final Four and Elite Eight teams still alive as possible. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah, I uh, I knew it would screw my bracket bracket up pretty good, and I was still rooting for them to pull that upset just because it's uh, fun and and crazy, and uh, I don't particularly have any love for Ohio State, so (laughs) I was. I was like, screw it. Just just uh, go beat a two-seed. Who cares? And then, uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, my, my bracket is toast. Um, although, apparently, I'm leading you in our pool. You've just you just told yeah. me. But uh, I was holding out for that LSU upset. That was my only, like, moment where I could feel smart. But even that, I was stealing uh, your own post-cast advice. So well. Hopefully, uh, people did or did. I, I feel like, I don't know, how would your advice from last week go? I feel like you were very... You're good on Ohio, right? Yeah. And about uh, that was about that was about, that was about the only
0: one like I was a point away from na- <laughs> nailing the uh UC, UC, Santa Barbara Ohio matchup. Yeah.
1: Oh the, yeah, that was uh that was baloney to me. Uh one of my biggest issues with college basketball is the fact that they have college referees and I, I still don't quite understand why Creighton got to the line for the game winning uh free throws on that game but i was pulling for the gauchos but i don't know it was it was weird it was like yes this, these two shots will decide the game and the broadcasters didn't even like <laughs> review the replay of the foul the guy was like dribbling away from the basket and i think a gauchos player accidentally bumped into him from behind or something and it's just like i don't know that that should decide a, yeah. a tournament game but uh Alas. So, that was close. You were close.
0: I don't think he picked Liberty, but you said Liberty was yeah, good. Yeah. That came close. So, Yeah, I was just disappointed in the UC Santa Barbara, man. He just, I just needed him to finish that <laughs> that bunny at the rim. But, yeah, speaking of, yeah. On, on the topic of just collegiate refereeing, uh, I try to, I try really hard not to be critical of him because, I mean, I I'd refereed intramural basketball during my college days, and, uh, I mean, by no means was I great, but, Like, I I saw, that's a hard thing to do, you know, when guys are, you know, I mean, you got elite athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, going a mile a minute, running up and down the floor, 100 miles an hour, and, um, you know, flying going every which way. It's really hard to keep up with all that, but I tweeted this out, uh, but I hope everybody finds the kind of love that college basketball referees uh, have with uh, (laughs) calling charges. I've never seen so many block charge calls go the, uh, the way of the charge.
1: Yeah, I think the block charge is like basketball's equivalent of what is a catch because I I don't know that we'll ever find that happy medium because, you know, you still see plays too where like a guy is just wildly dribbling and running into somebody and then, you know, the guy who happens to get run into uh, is, I don't know, it's it's an imperfect system. But, I I mean, I agree with you. I I also think college refs tend to work pretty crazy schedules and have, you know, terrible travel that they have to put up with. And I don't think they get paid a ton, so... I I certainly get it. Uh, I I I don't want to be one myself by any means, but um, it, at times it it can uh, detract from yeah. the game.
0: Well, I mean, the officiating aside, it's been a really good tournament, and I'm just I'm glad that you uh, took my suggestion on LSU because since we both since we both <laughs> lost out on that, at least I'm still within striking distance in our office pool, but uh, Brandon, let's go ahead and dive into uh, Wyoming athletics. Uh, another Wyoming basketball team had its season end earlier this week in the in the women's and tournament, and then spring football is uh, creeping up on us uh, just two weeks away um, from their April 6th start date, which is still the um, tentative start date as of now, so uh, we'll talk some hoops and, and basketball Uh, In the first segment, and then the second segment, I'll be joined by Wyoming assistant basketball coach Sundance Wicks. Uh, Gillette native, just finished his first season on the Cowboys bench after coming back home uh, from Missouri, where he was the head coach at uh, Missouri Western. Uh, And I'll say this, uh, this is no offense to any of the other guests we've ever had on the podcast, because I've enjoyed talking to everyone. But he's atop the leaderboard in that category. I mean, just, just listen, just listen to him talk. Like if you if you know Sundance, like he's very high energy. He likes to refer to himself as the Juice Man and the guy that brings the juice to that to that team. And uh, you you can tell just just listening to him because there's like if, when you listen to the interview, it's gonna sound like I sped up the audio and edited that. But really, that's just him talking in real time because he just sort of talks that fast and. And just a really insightful conversation, too, uh, about the season and, um, you know, some of the good and bad of of the performance of Wyoming's younger players, particularly the freshmen, and then just his impressions of of working with Jeff Linder up close and personal for the first time. So if you're a Wyoming Hoops fan, I would highly recommend sticking around for the second segment. And hey, if you... Don't even want to listen to us talk for the next 15-20 minutes. Uh, you can go ahead and skip forward to it if you want. I promise you I'm not going to be offended by it. But before we jump into this, Brandon, I did want to mention there, there was some sad news on the Wyoming Athletics Front earlier this week. Uh, Benny Dees, the former Wyoming basketball coach, passed away at the age of 86. Um, Wyoming was actually his alma mater. He actually played basketball and baseball in Laramie and uh, returned to Coach Walming's basketball team in the late 80s and early 90s, um, took the Cowboys to one NCAA tournament um, and uh, actually recruited and coached some of the best players mm-hmm. that ever come through the Cowboys program. Uh, you talk about Reggie Slater and Theo Ratliff and some of those guys. So um, condolences mm-hmm. to, uh, to his friends and family, um, Brandon. But now talking uh, basketball, um, the uh, Cowgirls playing in the NCAA women's tournament Stay was short lived, got bounced in the first round by UCLA uh late Monday night. Um uh, but uh Brandon, what what were your impressions of that game?
1: Yeah, I mean I uh I think we'd touched on it a little bit in our preview, but um it you know, I think it was really an uphill battle for them from the jump, just as far as kind of the the gap that can exist between a power conference and, and you know, another conference on, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh in women's basketball, I think if I'm not wrong, they said on the broadcast that a thirteen had never won. Is that right? For, uh, a, fort, a, fort, a fourteen. There were fourteen. In yeah. Oh, sorry, fourteen never. Yeah. And I mean, obviously they don't they don't win uh, super frequently in the men's tournament either. But you know, we had a tournament this past week where every seed won a game except uh, a sixteen seed on the men's side. So the um, you know, I I uh, fingers crossed that that will kind of catch up over time. You know, I think that's one of the the most fun parts about the tournament but you know i i think uh i don't have any um yeah this this doesn't lower my estimation of that team at all i mean it was it's it to me it was this was their victory lap um and if if they would have figured it out somehow and, and pulled off an upset you know of course uh uh that would have been incredible and you know first in program history but to me this doesn't detract anything from what was just an awesome run for the cowgirls and you know i i don't think that this uh, caps any era or anything like that but this is this is another kind of feather in their cap after after you know a, a good stretch here over the last uh you know i'm not sure quite how many years but deck you know within the last decade they've had a lot of yeah. success so it's it's cool to see it pay off with this trip and yeah i mean uh just you could kind of see the size disadvantage that they were at and uh, it was it was going to take a herculean effort <laughs> to make it to make it an upset, and, and that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're playing kind of against that history of uh, trying to become the first uh, the first team at your seed to ever pull off that, that win, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot to ask of a team to be the UMBC of, of women's
0: basketball. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't require a, a big, intricate, detailed breakdown. I mean, Wyoming just lost to a better team, and that's what Gerald Madison said and, mm. and the players said after the game. Um, yeah, I mean, just... Ran into a, a bigger, more physical team, and it, it was it was interesting, you know. After the game, because I expected to be there a little, uh, you know, sort of a more som- somber mood afterward after a seasoning loss. And and don't get me wrong, they were disappointed, obviously that that they didn't win. Because I mean, you don't you don't go to in, to any game, let alone an NCAA tournament game, expecting to lose. But um, you know, they, they were very um positive about uh the way I mean they thought they played well I mean they, they p- thought they played about as well as they could I mean to to hold UCLA to 69 points I mean that's that's three points um mm-hmm. fewer than their season average um you know Holt talked about the fact that throughout the season they had dropped 80 and 90 on, on teams a lot of different times so yeah I mean but you, you could just tell watching the game they they were physically outmatched and um, you know, I mean, no disrespect to uh, the athletes in the Mountain West, but that that's a different caliber. It's a different caliber of of, of athlete and a different caliber of, of athleticism and length. I mean, they, they couldn't even run their motion offense and get into their sets, you know, without um, yeah. you know a, a bunch of a bunch of players and, and defenders in their passing lanes and disrupting everything they really wanted to do offensively. Um, you know, considering the size advantage that UCL had on the interior, I thought they did about as good as they could. Um you know on the defensive end again when you when you hold a team like u c l a to to under seventy points that's that 's pretty good but um you know I think they 're outscored by fourteen in the paint out rebounded by seventeen boards so i mean that that tells you right there the the physical challenge that that was for wyoming and um i mean they they just weren 't going to be able to match that so um again like, like we sort of said uh last week um if nothing else. You know, this gives Wyoming, or it gave Wyoming a chance to sort of get their brand out there, right? Because, I mean, the NCAA tournament is, like, the premier marketing opportunity for college teams. I mean, anybody that turned on the TV um, late Monday night, you know, they they saw Wyoming's name come across the, the, the ticker on ESPN, and... Playing in an NCAA tournament. And hell, you never know, man. There could be a recruit somewhere watching that sort of never thought about Wyoming before. And maybe they stopped and thought, huh, Wyoming. And, you know, hell, maybe they looked up where Walming was or where Laramie was. You, you know, you just don't ever know. I mean, it's, that, that's the kind of exposure you're not going to get uh, at the college level anyway, uh, really anywhere else. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no reason to uh, to hang your head. Uh, uh, you know, it would be you know, it's it's one thing if the seeds are evenly mashed and the teams are evenly mashed, and you go out there and just lay an egg, turn the ball over all over the place, don't play a licky defense, and and get beat by a team maybe that you think you should have beaten. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it's 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 one thing to th- to to come away from a game thinking we let one get away rather than hey wait, we we played well, we just got beat by a better team.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, my thought going in was they weren't maybe even, you know, particularly well suited to to pull some kind of Cinderella upset, if only because they they won that conference tournament by virtue of shutting everyone down on defense. I know their offense played a, played a little stronger than average for them, but you know, their defense is what won them a championship, and I imagine it'd be tough to translate a suffocating defense to, you know, a a 314 matchup as opposed to if they'd won the tournament because they were like you know a lightning hot uh three-point shooting team or something like that then hey you never know you can you can get hot against anybody but uh, all that being said you know it's it's all the more impressive that they still did hold the Bruins under uh under their season average um so that's uh yeah I mean I I'm glad to hear that they weren't too downtrodden afterwards because yeah, to me, this was uh, the cherry on top for them this season. And, you know, obviously you you hope uh, to still notch that uh, first tournament win in program history sometime, maybe in the near future, but um, this is a, this is a great step towards it. Yeah.
0: And and for a team that only has three seniors on its roster and, and all three of those seniors uh, by the way are, have already decided that they're not going to use that extra year of eligibility that the, in Sibley has given everybody, and they're mm-hmm. going to move on from the program. So, uh, barring any transfers from the upperclassmen, I mean, th- this is a team that's going to return largely intact next season, and that's that's invaluable experience. So, um, I think that's something that you can take away from that, too. But uh, the Cowgirls finish uh, the season at 14-10 and 10 overall. Um, but, Brandon, let's go ahead and switch gears to football um, because we, we wanna, i want to talk about uh, the offense this week and then – Um, next week, the last week before they are scheduled to get started, we'll, uh, we'll sort of dive into the defense, but, uh, it's a little bit different, uh, you know, because there's really not, I mean, in a normal year, you know, when you get to the next year and you're getting into spring ball, you know, you're usually having to replace like half your starters on offense, half your starters on defense. You've got a lot of new players sort of entering the mix, but that's really not the case this year, you know. With, with, with particularly with Wyoming, with so many of their seniors deciding to come back for another season, I mean, this is still largely the same exact roster that they had last year. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know how newsy of a spring this is going. I mean, it's spring football, so I mean, it's there ain't a whole lot of news coming out of it anyway. Because you know, you're just not, you know, they're not showing a whole lot even when you get to go out there and watch practice. And I don't know if we're even going to be able to do that. Uh, and when I say we, I mean media. Go out there and and watch. You know, with during COVID, I think everything's still going to be over Zoom. So I don't think we're going to have any practice a- access anyway. But um, you know, it's 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 just different in the sense that you know you usually don't have this much of the same roster returning. Um, and I, I just don't know. I mean, you, you got the same offensive line, you know, coming back. Uh, you, you still got Xavier Valaday and Trey Smith are your top two running backs. Sean Chambers and Levi Williams your top two quarterbacks. I mean, they have ten of their eleven starters on offense returning. And the only reason they don't return everybody is because Dante Crow, the the receiver from Sheridan, has decided to transfer. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 just a very different dynamic when you're uh, when you're talking about you know what what you want to get out of spring when when you have so many knowns going into a new year rather than unknowns.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing that interests me most, and I guess this is, you know, cliche to say the quarterback, but uh, at the the quarterback position, you know, what I kind of wonder is uh, how that dynamic is is playing out with having two guys with experience behind center. Um, And, you know, obviously, Sean Chambers has shown a lot of success uh, when he stayed healthy in his first few years, but um, still has yet to, to play a full season and remain healthy. And then, you know, Levi Williams, you know, I think came on and impressed pretty well in his, his first year, uh, two seasons ago. And then last year, obviously had some, some struggles, but got plenty of snaps in. And I guess, you know, what I, my question to you Davis is, uh, you know, kind of twofold. One, I mean, what, what do you think that dynamic is like right now? But also if, if you can remember going back to last spring, what was sort of the, the narrative there? Because, um, i feel like we went into last season saying hey this is this will be interesting to see how they use both these guys this you know it, assuming they're gonna find a way to to get both both quarterbacks some snaps and then you know very shortly into the season that became a moot point right with chambers getting hurt so is is it still are we still going into this 2021 season expecting them to get a little creative with with finding snaps for both of them is it more of a situation where Sean's our guy; he's proven, but we also know we need a good backup just because of history. I mean, where does that all stand? And and can you remember? I guess where, uh, where that narrative was at yeah. a year ago. Yeah, no, that
0: actually. Oh wait, there was no spring football a year ago. Was well, there? yeah, Alt- nonetheless. Yeah, the, well, they didn't know that in February. You know, it, you know, yeah, the sports world didn't stop till it was actually the day after Wallman's pro March pro day. Yeah, uh, that was the last. That's the last time I've even seen Craig Bowler. Or any of their players in person, I believe. But uh, yeah, it, huh. it's funny you, you mentioned that because you know before everything was canceled and and they were planning on having spring, you know Craig Bull said going into the spring uh, last year that both of them were probably going to get snaps, and then right. you know going into fall camp last year, um, he said you know both of them were going to play. So that that is that is one thing that I'm interested to to ask him the next time we're able to talk to Craig Bull. Um, is, you know, do they still plan on uh, rotating those guys and getting them equal snaps? Because I don't know, man. I feel like if Sean Chambers is healthy, you know, I, I feel like he's the guy. And I I, I still think he, he's QB1. He's going to be your starter, uh, again, assuming that he's able to stay healthy and, and get to the first game of the, of the 2021 season. Um, but that was always sort of peculiar to me because I, I, I don't know maybe if it was – because he never really explained why he wanted to play both of them, I don't know if he felt like maybe maybe Levi was just the mm-hmm. better passer with Sean obviously being the better runner of the two if he wanted to do that but then if you, if you do that, it sort of gives away your play call right like whichever quarterbacks in the game you know there, there's a there's right. a, there's a reason they're in there, and that's that's because of what they can do well, so it's sort of sort of tipping your hand as to what play may be coming but yeah, that, that that's a that's an interesting point you bring up, and, and something we need to ask him because I, I don't I don't really know what the what that's going to look like. Is as you mentioned, I mean, Sean goes down three plays into the season last year, and so their that that rotation idea is wiped out almost immediately uh, with you know Levi taking over as the full time starter. So um, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting um, to figure out what the, what they want to do there with that. Um, I would also say that I, I think another maybe thing to watch during the spring is to see what other receivers emerge. You know, it was so much talk about, you know, again the, the the willingness to 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 open up the offense more and, and become more dynamic in the passing game. I mean, you've got Aiden Everhart back as your as sort of the veteran there, is the fifth year senior, um, and then you, we've mentioned Isaiah Nair, who was a big play threat for them, but only I think he only caught eight passes last season, so. You know, who's going to be the the, the number two and number three guys to step up? I mean, I know Gunnar Gentry's there, but he hasn't caught a ton of balls throughout, during his career. Um, so th- I think that's a position. And and also the, the tight end, too. You know, Tim Polisics talked a lot about, um, you know, getting the tight ends more involved. Him and Craig Bull talked about getting the tight ends more involved in the passing game. Uh, I think Trayton Welch is their their best bet with that. I mean, we've talked about him before and his – more how he's sort of like a tweener before, between a tight end and a receiver and a guy that you can you can you know not only play in line but it, it put him out there in the slot and really stretch defenses up to seam. But um I guess the areas that Wyoming is needs to concentrate on this spring uh is obviously getting the offense installed. Uh, you know, getting everybody comfortable with the terminology and the scheme and and what they're going to do on that on that side of the ball, which I don't think the scheme's going to be a whole lot different um, than what Brent Vegan was running. We, we've just talked about so many of the uh, of the wrinkles, right, and maybe some of the different ways that they're going to run the ball, and obviously getting guys more involved in the passing game. Um, so that's one. And then number two, staying healthy, and particularly at the quarterback position. I mean, we've talked about it at nauseam, and, and I would be very very surprised. If Sean Chambers, Levi Williams, and the rest of the quarterbacks are, are made live this spring, I mean, I mean, with with Sean's injury, yeah. with his with his terrible luck with injuries, I just there's you know if he were to go out there and be live and he get injured before even making it to the fall, I mean that, that Craig Bull is going to get a lot of questions and a lot of criticism for that. So I just I don't think you can afford to do that given what's happened the last three years with him. But um, yeah, you just got to get to the fall. Uh, getting this offense in, getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody comfortable, and being as healthy as you can when you get there.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of regardless of what that answer ends up being as far as the, the quarterback snaps, you know, you you really need to install a new offense for two quarterbacks because, you you know, you've got to have them both ready. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, honestly what I would love, like selfishly, is for them to, you know, drop some trick plays where they put two quarterbacks on the field at the same time and just, like, you know, confuse the heck out of a defense uh i am not necessarily banking on seeing that but I, I feel like whenever teams maybe more in the NFL level but do funky stuff with quarterbacks they'll just actually put the quarterback out wide and and the quarterback is basically not in the play you know whenever or, or um right. you know there, there's never actually like that i've seen a whole lot of utilizing the fact that there are two guys on the field who could throw the ball um, so maybe, I don't know. We talked about Tim being maybe a little more creative. I, I would love to see that if they've got both of them healthy, but yeah, I don't know that, you know, Levi stole Sean's job last year by any means. So I think, I think you're right as far as, you know, it's probably Sean's, uh, Sean snaps to lose and, uh, yeah, we'll see, uh, you know, what, what we're able to see this spring. But like you said, there's, there's only so much that you can really take away from spring ball. Um, you know, obviously it's valuable, on the team's end, you know, getting especially with a yeah. new coordinator, uh, a new coordinator on either side. But you know, I, for my experience, I feel like a lot of spring is uh, spent writing about guys who you're never actually going to write about in the fall. You know, and like oh, exactly. this guy's emerging as a third-string running back, or uh, you know, hey, they uh, they're making this guy punt. That's fun, <laughs> but he's never going <laughs> to punt in September. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's nice to to be out on the football field and, and, uh, have, have it going on, but it's probably always good advice not to read too much into
0: what's going on during spring football. Yeah, no, I mean, look, spring football is what it is. And and, and that's why I say particularly with, with so much experience and so much of the roster returning intact, I mean, there's just not going to be a whole lot of new out there. I mean, I'm sort of interested to see maybe what, injured players might make a return this spring like Alonzo mm-hmm. Velasquez that you know they're their right tackle uh you know he's dealt with a bunch of injuries throughout his career missed all of last season you know are you going to bring that guy back uh you know and 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 maybe risk another injury in the in the spring now you know it, obviously you know when you as you mentioned you know you're bringing in a, a new offensive coordinator installing a new offense uh, you know it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a fifth year senior everybody's learning um, the same thing at the same time. So you need to get uh, familiar with it. So you wonder if some of those guys might be back just to, just to learn the offense uh, and get caught up to speed with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's so risky to, to, to put guys, particularly your veterans and and their proven players, um, out there when, when really there's no benefit other than the mental side of it. Right. Like, I mean, if you, you go down with an injury, I mean, and, and spring ball, it's, I mean, it, that doesn't do anything for you, you know. And it's almost like, well, what, what was the point of bringing guys out there? Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if what they decide to do with some of the, the players coming off injuries, um, and, and then also going back to the quarterbacks. Uh, get, I think, getting them comfortable too, and getting getting some confidence in them. You know, you know, Tim's he's also their quarterbacks coach now, so um, he's going to be working with them. Um, you know, trying to maybe iron out their mechanics. Um, you know some of their pocket awareness, uh, things that they obviously let Sean and Levi both obviously need to improve. Um, if this offense is, is serious about being more multidimensional going forward, so I think just th- those little things. Um, you know, and I think I think in, in the spring, really, it's more mental.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, sometimes it's it's uh, a, a good time of year for figuring out. You know what you've got as far as maybe a couple of specialists or something like that, but it it seems like they may, uh, I, I can't remember where they're at, I guess on the punter front. Is that uh, something they need? To... Uh,
0: the punter. Yeah. Nick Knoll transferred. So, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, that, that... right. So, I mean, maybe that's some, some valuable reps. I don't know. <laughs> That'll come out of spring, but, uh, no offense to punters, but you know, uh, spring is a time for like the the weird funky narratives to shine that normally uh get get overshadowed by the time you actually get into the fall so yeah we'll we'll see how it goes i mean i hope they let you watch some of it uh you should be able to social distance pretty well if you can go sit up in the bleachers or something
0: <laughs> well i've al- I, uh, I, I'll, i've always said college football coaches are the most paranoid group of people on planet earth so yeah, I
1: have a feeling it might have less to do with COVID and more to do with uh, college coaches loving an excuse to yeah. not have to show a single formation that they don't have to. Yeah,
0: you know, I don't know, man. Craig has talked about how he's, how he's ready to see us again and talk to us in person. But, uh, yeah, with them with them installing a new offense, I, I don't necessarily foresee us being able to come out there and watch them in person. Yeah. That will give him another excuse, I think. Um, By the way,
1: has your guys snow melted down there yet?
0: Yeah, for the most part. It's been... Uh, it's. Okay. I mean, as soon as... Now, it's like... As soon as it gets in, like, the high 30s, low 40s, it's basically like a beach day here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm out there in We've uh, still got, like, a foot on the ground, so... Oh.
0: Well... Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about specialists and the defense in next week's episode. But, uh, mm-hmm. Brandon, I think we can go ahead and uh, take a break there. And then on the other side, I will talk to uh, Wyoming assistant basketball coach Sundance Wicks.
1: Cool. Well, it's exciting to finally have a second person on the folks' who has been to the campus of Missouri Western. So it's a historic <laughs> moment. Home of uh, Greg the Leg Zerline.
0: Welcome to the Postcast, and now I'm going to talk to Wyoming assistant basketball coach Sundance Wicks. Uh, During this interview, we'll discuss all things year one of the Jeff Linder era, including Linder's game plans and his approach with his players, Uh, Sundance returning to his home state to coach, the scouting report on Oregon State, which is a sweet 16 team now that Wyoming beat earlier this season, and much, much more. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Quick clarification before jumping into the interview. Sundance refers to Coach O'Flanagan and Riley Graybo at different points. Uh, As most, if not all of you listening probably know, Graybo is a former player who was on WOMC's most recent NCAA tournament team in 2015. But he's now the program's recruiting director. And Coach O'Flanagan is a reference to the Cowboys director of operations, Tim O'Flanagan. So just wanted to clarify exactly who they were and what their roles are now within the program so that you know when they're mentioned in this interview. And now I'm joined by Wyoming Assistant Basketball Coach Sundance Wicks. Uh, Sundance, appreciate uh, you uh, taking the time to uh, speak with us.
2: Davis, happy to be here, man. Anytime we get a chance to talk about the pokes and what's going on in Lairdice, it's a good day.
0: Well, I I want to get to all of that and the season uh, here in a second, but I I got to start with the most pressing question, man. Uh, How's your bracket looking?
2: (laughs) Honestly, I'm gonna tell you this. This is crazy. So my wife Courtney, she has beat me for four straight years. And she got a little cocky. She made her bracket. We do the ESPN challenge for just kind of a little couples challenge. Yeah. And uh, she, she put on her, her, her title, of the bracket's five Pete. So she thought she was gonna wax me this year. And uh, then I got in I, I got in Triggy's office bracket for the University of Wyoming Athletics Department. And uh, I hate to say this to all the the lovely people that worked with us, but I'm number one right now. So I'm I'm holding it down. My bracket this year is real solid. I picked some some big first round upsets that kind of paid dividends for me that I don't think a lot of people did.
0: Yeah, well, if that's the case, you're doing a lot better than a lot of other people around the country. (laughs) (laughs) No, No question. I just want to know who the eight people are that picked the entire Sweet 16 bracket.
2: Yeah. I want to know, what the heck they were taking or, who, or like what's that the deal they made with the devil? They sold their soul, how they got their
0: bracket like that. Well, they're obviously they're Oral Roberts fans, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no question. Uh, um, speaking of that, and, and other than Oral Roberts, who's obviously made a sweet 16 run as a, as a 15 seed of, has any of these other teams that are, that are left? Are you surprised or impressed by, uh, in particular with what they've done?
2: I mean, so much of the stuff is about matchups, right? Like you could, you're, you're gonna be a great seed and, and, and get a heck of a draw then all of a sudden you're san diego state and you gotta play syracuse right like san diego state's a really good basketball team and then yeah. they got to go out in a terrible matchup and play a team that plays zone the entire game and has length in every position that, that can that can match up with them that's just a, that's a really bad matchup for san diego state the team though that i that i i really i really got kind of got shot by was ohio um I, I i hadn't watched him hadn't seen him i know a couple of stories of the guy who you know was a walk-on and became a scholarship player and now he's a stud yeah but and what you're finding out with these teams that get these big first-round upsets and these second-round upsets is that they have, a, they have a really good guard, a dynamic guard. And then they have that four-man that's really versatile, O'Banner at Oral Roberts, uh, the Vanderplaz guy at Ohio, that are like, kind of like Maldo, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, can kind of go inside, outside, and they make a lot of plays. And that's, that's where the mismatch problem really happens is a dynamic guard that can go score and create, create easy baskets for everybody else, but then those 4 men that can just stretch it and play inside-out. Um, Ohio's, Ohio's a team I'm, I was really excited. I, I love watching those guys play. Jeff Bulls did a heck of a job out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jason Preston is the point guard you're talking about. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Preston. Yeah. Preston.
2: yeah. Like a triple double guard, man. And he's rebounding, assists,
0: scoring. And it's just, it's fun to watch those guys come out of nowhere. So, speaking of uh, the teams that are left, I uh, have to ask you about the the team that you guys beat that uh, nobody in, in the Pac 12 tournament or, or the NCAA tournament to this point has has beaten yet. And that's. That's Oregon State. I know that was a long time ago, but uh, what, what's what's the scouting report of them? How, how do you beat the Beavers?
2: This was was cool about March, and was cool about just sports and co- competition in general, is that they were they were really struggling to find themselves early on in the season, like any team you're trying to find an identity. Um, I think after we played them, a, a couple guys, or even right before, is actually right before we played them, a couple guys decided they didn't they, they didn't want to be there anymore, they want to get a transfer portal, quit, it wasn't working out for them. And a lot of times that's addition by subtraction. You lose some of those guys that really aren't invested and bought in there. And from, from that point on, I think they kind of started establishing who they are and what they're going to be. And then they're just big at every position. At every position. Uh, they, they, got some, they got some absolute studs there. Ethan Thompson is a monster. Um, and they got guys that can shoot it. And then they have big guys inside like Aletitia that can just go and, and silver. They can go and disrupt you. But what, what I get back to the point is like matchups. You know, you talk about or or Oregon State going through there and having to, having to go play who do they play in the uh in the
0: first round? Oh. Oklahoma State. Uh oh, Tennessee. Tennessee.
2: They beat, they beat Tennessee and then they beat Oklahoma State, which are two teams that they match up really well with. Um and they just absolutely dominated Tennessee. I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. But but I you know, you want to be playing your best basketball in march, right? And right. so teams that get hot late, I'm not surprised by it. It's just they weren't hot early. They hadn't found their stride. They had some 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 roster issues, and all of a sudden, boom! They start finding their stride in the in the conference tournament, and they're playing their best basketball in March. And that's any team that's that's lightning in a bottle. I don't think it just happens. It's it's been developing over a period of time. And when teams start playing their best basketball in March, reaching their full potential, uh, and guys are really bought into the role, that's when great things can happen. But the scout report, man, that's gonna be tough because they're gonna they're gonna mix it up with some man. They're gonna mix it up with some zone, and then you just got to make sure that, that Ethan Thompson. I thought that. When he got foul trouble, I thought they were in trouble, but they had some guys step up. So make sure Ethan Thompson doesn't destroy you. It's yes. been a fun game between them and Loyola.
0: Yeah. So so how did you guys beat him?
2: We had guys play really well that game. Um, Jeremiah Odin. I mean, that was that was one of his biggest games of the year, came out and played really, really well off the bench. Yeah. And uh, then I, I just thought we had to, you know, Coach Linder, you know, just getting it this is this is a side note, but everybody knows this he develops unique game plans for every team that we play. So it's not like we're going to go into a game and say, all right, let's go run our stuff. He's going to dive into how they defend you. And he's going to find the areas of their defense that he can exploit. He's going to spot the sucker. He's going to try to find ways that we can create advantage of ball screen stuff. And if you're, if you're playing that zone, like they were really heavy on zone, they were more zone than they were man early in the season. Um, and we, he just, needed really really put a, a good plan of attacking for our guys and, you know, we got Marcus scored the first, I think, six or seven points of the game. Uh Kenny was playing really well at the at the time. X X really came on and started hitting shots and then JO coming off the bench gave us a great spark. So um, and that's all before Graham Eke, which I just thought I thought that was one of our one of our, our best games of the year as far as the second halves so are concerned, defensively, really guarding.
0: Yeah. Um and you mentioned uh Jeff Linder's game plan. So that's a good segue into my next question because I wanted to ask you about the, the game plan for San Diego State in the Mountain West Tournament that he, I guess, devised in, a you know, 24 hours or less than 24 hours after you guys had, I mean, you got destroyed by them in the regular season in that sweep. And to come up with a plan where you, you know, slow the game down and, you know, cut the possessions in half, which is the, the exact opposite of the way you guys like to play. Um, did did you guys? And when I say you guys, I mean you and, and Ken and Sean and, and the assistant coaches. Did he guys tell you about that before telling the players, or did you guys all find out at the same time? Or were you surprised by it at all?
2: Well, this is what's wild about about this all is that. You know, you play a game San Jose State, you score 111 points, everybody's rocking, everybody feels good, but then you have to go back, you have to, you have to flush that game in literally about four or five hours, because that's when we're going to go watch film at four o'clock or five o'clock that night. So you got to go back, eat, flush that game, you know, high-five each other, good job, good win, advance to the next round. Uh, and then, you as a staff, you know, you already have some sort of idea knowing because you look at your bracket, obviously you have to be prepared for what's going to happen in the brackets on either way. Going into it, you have a kind of an idea going into it, but... Basically, it's constant communication via text messages. We're all watching different parts. I'm watching guys like Trey Pulliam and Butler and how they shot over the last, you know, six, seven games. Because those are the two guys that we decided that we're not going to guard. We're basically going to give them the dork coverage, guard them at the free throw line, plug the paint, not let them get Matt Mitchell to basketball and Mensa have a heyday inside. Uh, and the coach is going to watch just the overall possessions and flow of the game and find out how to devise that plan. Um What's crazy is how he dives into the data. So we gave up the first time we played San Diego State, we gave up more points per 100 possessions than any team that played them in the United States of America. That was 149 points per 100 possessions. That's, that's insane. Wow. Yeah. Right. The second time we played him, we scored more points on him per 100 possessions than any other team in America. So what does he do? He looks at those numbers and he says, All right, well, we know we can't run with these guys. We got blasted by 32 times. We know that we could score on him better than any team in the country so let's cut the game in half so basically he tells us we're going to cut the game in half we're going to slow it down but when we come into the meeting room i mean he has that all mapped out for us um he writes he writes a word up on the board perpety, and our guys are like what is this word i don't even i've never heard of this word before and it basically means a sudden change of direction so from that from that standpoint, he breaks down the fact that we just scored 111 points. We're going to have a sudden change of direction, and now we're going to cut the game in half. We're going to take the air out of the basketball while still being aggressive in the time that we do want to attack, which is basically from about 18 seconds to 15 seconds. And then and then we have to be we have to capitalize on how they're going to guard our ball screen coverage. And so he goes through almost every possession of the of the second time we played San Diego State when we scored on them at a high level, and he's just pointing out to the guys this is what's going to here's here's the switch we're going to try to keep matt mitchell off of the basketball we're not going to get matt mitchell on maldo we want to get someone else on maldo so we can create that advantage in the post and not have the best defender in the conference guarding up one of our better players defensively he goes back to the defensive side he said look at trey pulling right here we're not going to guard him right here we're going to plug the paint when butler comes in we're not going to guard him in this position we're going to guard the paint we're going to take these actions away and at the start, you just, you're kind of catching up to him because he's, he's so far down the rabbit hole. You're not even close to Wonderland yet, Alice. Okay, So all of a sudden, we start diving down the rabbit hole with him. And by the end of about a two-hour film session, every single guy is, is already talking what's going to happen before it happens because they're on coach's page now. And that's the beauty of it is the game plan is devised by the mastermind, the genius himself, Coach Jeff Linder. But the guys have to buy into that and believe that fully. If they don't, then you'll see a different result when we play San Diego State but every single one of them absolutely 100% bought into it. And that's hard to do with young guys to really, to really change the style of play or the attack plan from one game to the next within 24
0: hours. So did, did did he tell you guys, the the assistant coaches before telling the players, do you guys all find out at the same time about that?
2: No, he he told
0: us via text, like, this is kind of what we're going to
2: do. You know, you know, make sure you guys come down to the, to the film prepared to talk about how, how we're going to defend certain guys and, you know, Coach Vandiver was the main scout on San Diego State, so he has all the calls and the actions that they run. So we still have to defend them and their actions. We just got to make sure that we know what's coming and make sure that our guys aren't getting out of position based on what they're trying to run. Because yeah, we, we, we have to give Trey Pulliam and Lamont Butler a lot of credit. Those guys came to play, and they ended up hitting those shots that a lot of guys, those non-paint twos, those 15- to 17-foot shots, and both of them hit about three, They hit about three threes combined. They don't usually hit those shots. I mean, going into the game, Pulliam was one for his last forty-one attempts. From one for his last forty-one attempts was a three-pointer. Butler was no, that Pulliam was three. Butler was one for his last forty-one attempts was a three-pointer. That's they don't shoot a lot of them, and they ended up making three in the game. So that's a that's a credit to what they how they stepped up and played. But yeah, as the staff, we knew it was kind of going down, but we just didn't know the exact game plan per se we knew what, how we were going to guard him we knew that we we're going to cut the game in half but him going through it in the film with the guys it was it was something i'll remember forever
0: yeah uh so i, I want to go back to the very beginning of the season and, and just from an overall uh program perspective obviously you're, you guys are starting a new regime um you know you, you turn over more than half of the roster uh we we know how the season ended and you guys at least according to the Uh, preseason prognostications from us media folks uh, as to, you know, where you guys would finish in the Mountain West. You guys sort of surpassed those expectations. But I'm just curious, with you guys as a staff, did you guys talk about what the expectations were for year one and, uh, you know, what you expected of this team, even with so many new faces coming in with so few holdovers from um, Allen's team, I guess? You know what's, what's crazy is there's
2: there's knowns and there's unknowns in this life.
0: Yeah,
2: and I, what was known going into the season was, you know, who Quan who, who Marble was, who Kenny Foster was, who Hunter Miles and Hunter Thompson were, based on what they've done at the college level. What was unknown was everybody that we basically brought in and signed in that class. Uh, there's knowns usually in a season. You know what your preseason is going to be like. You know what your season's going to be like. Your non-conference and conference. <laughs> There's a, there was a ton of unknowns this year when it came to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was unknown whether or not one of our guys was ever going to get COVID or if we are going to get shut down. And we got about two 15-day two pauses in our preseason. So that's 30 days of not, not practicing, not touching our guys at all on the floor with film um, going into the season. Then the season gets pushed back and you're starting to practice more. But then you have contact racing. So everything that you know about developing and, like Coach Linder, creating a culture and implementing the things that you want to implement became unknown for this for this said year and and when it comes to prognostic or prognostications or predictions or how however everybody else wants to do it all that becomes unknown as well because you don't know how many games a team's going to play in conference there's 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 teams that play you know 14 games all year we were we were lucky enough to play you know 25 we should have played what 28 uh games you know Twenty, yeah, yeah, twenty nine, twenty nine games. Lost, lost two with San Jose State, lost one with UNLV, and lost one with Utah State. Right. So we should have been somewhere in the twenty nine range ballpark. All those unknowns just make it a really, really hard year to get what you want out of your program Uh, because you're constantly fighting the daily adjustment. Coach Leonard will be the first one to tell you the great ones adjust. Um, That's what we did all year long. Our guys adjusted all year long. I mean, to to tell a college kid to basically like don't. Don't go to don't go to house parties. Don't do things that are fun, you know. Don't don't go to bowling alleys. Don't go to movies. Don't yeah. go to restaurants. <laughs> don't 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 be a college kid. Be a damn grown up. All right, that 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 sounds irrational from from the start, right there. Um, so for our our our, our expectation just ended up being a can we get better today? Expectation, and that's how Jeff is. I mean, he's a, he's such a process guy from from the jump as we, as we know it. But really, now more than ever, is that when you have a day, you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. You may be shut down. So, we have to focus on, we call it win the one. You got to win this day. You got to win this practice. You got to win this hour. All right. You got to win this film session. You got to win this one class that you're in right now. Whatever that is, we just got to focus on winning each one that we're involved in. Yeah. That was our expectation for the year. No matter matter if we finished first or last or middle, our expectation was we just got to find ways to
0: get guys better every single second. So, on that note, did, did you feel like you guys got better over the course of the season? I, mean, I know defense was, was really the Achilles heel for, for much of the season. Um, the offense, I don't think anybody was surprised by that, just given Jeff's background and what he's been able to do at, at other programs. But um, st- stats aside, did you feel like you guys got better over the course of the season started building some of those, those habits, those work habits, I guess, that, that Jeff wants in the program? Absolutely, 100%.
2: And, and the kicker is we didn't really have a full roster, honestly, probably even until the last two games of the season. Right. I mean, you, you started the year out without Kenny and Quan, right? Then you got to add them into the mix. So it's like you're starting over all, all over again. Then Kenny gets hurt and you readjust your roster. Owen Nelson gets hurt and you readjust your roster. Start all over again. Graham E.K. comes back. Start all over again. You got guys out. All of a sudden, Kenny Foster and Owen Nelson come back. Start all over again. So you're starting brand new developing developing a team and, and, and roster and rotations every you know month, every every couple of weeks. And so uh, for our guys to get better, basically to adjust to all, all to adjust to all the adversity that happens throughout this COVID year, absolutely our guys got better. They got better because they got a free year of basketball. They all get a year back. Basically got a red shirt year where you got to play in every single game if you're a freshman. Um, one thing that I would I would say hurt us is Jeff is a, is a phenomenal defensive coach. You learn defense, and you learn principles, and you learn technique by playing live basketball against other good players. Yeah. And, and, and we had about 15 minutes of live activity maybe every other day. And, and sometimes we went, we went up for a month without playing five-on-five five, uh, just because of contact tracing and making sure that we just got our guys to the next game. So defensively, we couldn't really grow the way we wanted to because you have to put guys in positions to defend the ball. You have to put guys in positions to make sure that you're walling and cracking and rotating over and, and you know, doing all the things that requires to be a high-level defensive player, closing out to a guy with a live ball. Those things, those things are, are, first and foremost, the most important foundations, just the individual fundamental defensive instructions to build your base. So you can't have a good team defense if you never practice it.
0: Right. Um, which player or players did, did you think maybe made the biggest strides over the season or, or were most impressed with, uh, the growth that they made?
2: It's a great question. And I say this, every
0: player has a different, it kind of when
2: they kind of the light comes on, uh, some are early, some are late. And most freshmen end up having some sort of growth early on then plateauing or maybe dropping off. And then the good ones can push through it and fight through it and continue to get better. Uh, I think our freshmen, what a challenging year as a freshman to come into college and, and just have to figure it out. Um, Xavier Ducelle wasn't great early. He, he wasn't great. I mean, his, his, it was a struggle for him early when he first got here in the summer and even in the preseason in the fall, it was really a lot for him. And you could just tell, but then, you know, he's an everyday dude he keeps showing up every day and keeps fighting through the grind every day. And X kind of, Strides, you know, after those Boise State games, X kind of picks it up a little bit. You're like, dang, here comes X. Obviously, we know Grams wasn't until later with his injury. Jeremiah Oden, man, he was, he was really pushing it early on. Jeremiah was great in the summer, great in the fall, and then kind of, kind of faded into Christmas uh, because the weight of the season weighs on him. And he's a guy that's got to put on weight. He's super athletic and twitchy. And, and, and it's, if, he, if he's going as hard as he does every single day, it's just hard for him to keep it on. Um, that, that grind kind of caught up to him. But he was awesome early marcus williams you know everyday dude awesome early really hit the wall i would say late late in the in, in the uh, in the season but then pushed through it and really caught his stride going into the conference tournament i mean i thought he played i thought he played like a real point guard those last two games he got a lot of guys easy shots he was getting 10 assists for san jose state i mean he was out there running the show and directing traffic those two games really showed his maturity over the course of the season and to be able to fight through some adversity um because you just as a, as a player that's you know going to be talked about as one of the best players in this program, you got to be an everyday dude and the hardest worker. And a lot of those times, expectations on freshmen aren't fair, but neither is you getting a lot of talent that nobody else has. So we can't complain about either one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sundance, what do you think that the adjustment is from Marcus now? Because you, you touched on it a little bit there, but you know he's going to be at the top of every team's scouting report. If he wasn't by the end of this season already. What do you think the adjustment is for him, you know, knowing that and then still being able to produce at the level that, that he did this season going forward? Well, I think the biggest adjustment is a mental adjustment. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, it's one, it's one thing to, like, know that you're going to be on the top of the scouting report because he knew that. We, we talked to him at length to ad nauseum about him being on the top of the scouting report's list and everybody focusing on him. Well, then it's another thing to understand that, accept that, and then create a new version of you because you can't be the scout that you were last year going into next year. If you're the same scout, if people can scout-stop you and guard you and defend you the same way to shut you down like they did last year at the end of the season, then you didn't do your job as a player in the offseason. It's our job as coaches to help them find that new level, to get them out of their comfort zone, to push past the threshold of, of basically who they are and, and shed that skin to become a new player, a different version. Um, and most different versions have to become more efficient in their movement patterns. they got to understand the right types of shot selection. they got to become better defenders so that you become more well-rounded players. Uh, and then they have to be, they have to learn how to be a leader. Uh, leadership is tough nowadays. You, need, you know, kids don't want to hold other kids accountable because yeah. they're both, you know, they, they, they don't want to put it on, you know, they don't want to take it on themselves because a lot of times they're like, well, I'm not doing it all right. We're never going to be perfect. Uh, leadership is first holding yourself accountable and then being able to hold others accountable because you're doing it every day. And so his growth is going to be mentally comprehending and understanding that he's going to be a guy that's a focal point. And because of that, you have to work that much harder. Because there's the invisible opponent is out there working, trying to pass you every day. And that's not just Marcus. I mean, that's Graham. Graham's not a secret anymore. Kenny Foster shooting the ball to high level. X shooting the ball to high level, not a secret anymore. Maldo getting into dribble downs and going into paint, not a secret. Thompson picking and popping out of our rub action, not a secret. You know, J.O.'s athleticism and versatility, not a secret. Quan Marble being a Swiss Army, not a secret. So we, we, we've got to expose all of our guys. They got exposed out there on the court in competition in a free year. And now they're all going to have to adjust mentally to to find their next level.
0: So before Graham came along, um, you know, you guys were primarily a five-out team. And then, you know, he he gets healthy, he returns, and all of a sudden you guys finally have a legit post presence. I'm curious, the way that you guys build around the perimeter and the way you guys can shoot the ball, how does the dynamic change of this team with him in the lineup? People don't realize it, that
2: at UNC, this last year with Kai Edwards and uh, uh, Joe Jokuch, they were the number one team out of the pick and roll passing to the big man. And then out of points per possession, entire country. So we want a rim pressure guy. We want a rim run, put pressure on the rim guy. And to have him and Thompson both kind of give them that one-two punch, it allows us to play in certain situations five out, which we all know how that messes with a lot of teams' ball screen coverages. And then bringing Graham in and being able to go into the paint and get a restricted R two or a paint touch two or a block two where you could throw the ball into the big guy, all that does is just loosen up the defense on the outside. And so it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have those two type of guys uh, in your program. And then, you know when Owen really gets healthy and comes back, we know that Owen's going to be a bruiser as well. And he'll be able to help us in a pinch with guys get foul trouble. But that, that, that myth of, you know, the five out, and we just want to, you know, we had to do that. Necessity the mother of invention. Right? Yeah. You don't want to turn Thompson into a banger big because that's just not who he is. But, crap, he can shoot the piss out of that basketball. And throwing, and throwing Graham in there now. So now you got the one-two punch and you go inside, outside, and you really have a, a lot of versatility with your lineups.
0: So, and I, I want to ask you this too, because obviously we, we didn't get to see any practices and, you know, we were basically everything being limited to, to zoom and phone calls. Uh, there just wasn't a whole lot of interaction beyond that. Um, but, you know, I, I know some of the players have talked about Jeff being a truth teller and that he's not going to sugarcoat things and that, you know, so, <laughs> you know, and, and Jeff has even said, you know, his, his coaching style isn't for everybody. So, I'm just – I'm curious, how would you describe a Jeff Linder practice and what's his demeanor and approach like with players? And he is the
2: ultra, ultimate competitor. And when you talk about a truth teller, I mean, it's a lost art in his profession. That's why I like working for him. Uh, there, there's no, there are no hidden agendas. There's no uh, subliminal messages. You know, you don't have to read I, – I failed the mind reading class in college like a lot of us did. Um, <laughs> you, you go take a mind reading class. It's, you, you think your grades an A and you end up getting an F. All right. So that's, that's where Jeff, you don't have to, you don't have to mind read with him. And I'll say this, I'll just preface his coaching style and who he is as a, as a man and a teacher and a, and a, and a leader and a mentor with, with this, there's 357 division one basketball teams, 284 of them have one player or more at the transfer portal. That's 80% of college basketball at the division one level right now has, is part of the portal pandemic, right? We're one of 73 teams that doesn't have one kid in the transfer portal but we're also i think we're one of one teams when it comes to telling the truth about kids where your role is where you stand how you do how you can get better in your role how you can expand your role and not sugarcoating it saying like this is if you don't change or if this doesn't change here's what your future will look like and and saying those hard truths to kids i just don't think they get told the truth a lot i think a lot of times kids get told what they want to hear and Uh, And that could be from anybody in their circle, but also, you know, from the the people that they trust and love the most, their family and their parents. It's hard. Parents aren't here every day. Uh, So I have a daughter now and about to have a boy in May. And I know that I want Grace. If she feels sad, I want to make her happy. And if she's happy, I want to keep her happy. And uh, if something's bothering her, I want to know what it is. And you're always trying to fix and help things as a parent. And sometimes, you know, telling telling your kid what they want to hear versus what they need to hear or who they need to listen to uh, isn't the best thing. And that's why there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people on the portal right now. There's a lot of kids being lied to up front. And there's a lot of kids who go to a program and don't do their job developing as a player. So then they say, I want to transfer because that's easier somewhere else. Well, it's not easier somewhere else. If you don't develop, no matter where you go, you're not going to play. And as coaches, a lot of times, we get caught into the portal pandemic because we, go, we want to go get an older player who's maybe ready-made. Well, what does that say about us as coaches? It says that we didn't do our job developing the players that we have in our program, so we want to go get somebody else. That doesn't mean that there's not the right fit or sometimes it just doesn't work out and it's a mutual parting of the ways but it it does speak a lot to kind of what the culture is right now in the landscape of college basketball so jeff is a truth teller and those guys listen to everything he says and they know that he's not bs when he says and so then they can make an informed decision on what they want to do or who they want to be as a basketball player not have to interpret some sort of you know weird code um and think that maybe coach wants me to do this. No, he wants you to do exactly this. And now they hold the power because they have the knowledge and the information that's real. And so for us as a staff, we don't have to go and, hey, this is what Jeff, this is what Coach Winder meant. No, we we are all echoing the same sentiments as our our boss and our leader and as our head coach. Um, And so from that standpoint, it should be a blessing to play for a guy like that and to play in a program like that that allows you to, immediately seek growth because of constant uh, instruction and feedback that is real and truthful. Um, so that's what it's like when, when you go into a one-on-one meeting with the guy. Uh, as, as, as far as practice style is concerned, like, look, you're, when you take over a program that hasn't won in a couple of years, you're going to have to crank up the competitiveness. Uh, and there is, there is, for lack of a better word, a learned helplessness. When, because I took over a program in Missouri Western that it was, it was really bad for, for a lot of years. Um, and you have, to, you have to try to basically get out of them what it means to compete again because there's there's so many times you can just default to like well it's just not good enough or no you compete first and foremost compete compete and then fight every day for your culture and that's competing and so every time you come to a practice you're going to see a cranked up energetic enthusiastic down to the down to the last second detailed practice plan that moves and when we get to the point of playing five on five Now, most of our practice is going to be conceptual and schematic. Uh, We had to do a lot of breakdown drills for our guys this year. Um, And so it's hard to compete, you know, one on O and two on O and five on O. But when you get to the five on five, three on three and four on four stuff, that's where you really see a Jeff Linder practice take off.
0: Uh, So are you saying that Jeff is more enthusiastic than you? Because I have a hard time believing that. I got juice, man. My job is to
2: bring the juice every day. It's to make sure that when I look at those guys, when they step across that line, like, hey, you better be locked in, ready to go, brother. It is time, it is time to saddle up and ride. All right? Coach Linder is, is, is extremely competitive, and, and he has to watch all the nuances in the practice to make sure that each guy is dialed into the details. That's the beauty of playing for him is that you're just not going to get through a practice without him giving tons of little instructions uh, at any point to make you a better player. But you're going to, you're going to have to stay dialed in. Cause if you don't get locked into his practices, they could they can creep up on you real fast.
0: So do do you yeah. have a favorite Jeff Linder story from your first season working with him?
2: <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot of, I have a lot of Jeff Linder stories. I'm, I love coaching stories. It's one of the things that you do as an assistant when you sit back and you reflect, uh, but I, I remember we were having a practice where we were just slinging the ball all over the place. And if you know anything about us, it's, it's uncharacteristic for us to turn the ball over. I mean, we're one of the top 20 teams in the country in, in taking care of the basketball. And it, it, was getting, it was getting to the point where our guys just – it started becoming just an epidemic. With them. Like, I can't believe this. I am just throwing the ball all over the place, not even making reads. And, and he, he said, he goes, you know, you might as well just take the ball and punt it into the stands. If you if you want it, if you, it's better that way because at least you can go back and set your defense versus giving somebody a turnover transition bucket. <laughs> yeah, and so Jimmy, our strength coach, has got of you always got to carry kind of the extra ball with him in case one goes out of bounds. And uh, I'll never forget, we're lined up across the free throw line and got you getting ready to do the drill. And coach just takes off and and I mean that was a, That was an NFL type punt. <laughs> and I think it, I think it got to the top of the double A. And it was a beautiful landing spot. I mean that 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 thing would have that would have been had heck of a special teams coverage right there. Those guys would have been down on that ball real quick. I'll never forget that. And I was like, man, that was excellent. I I broke it down on films. (laughs) Excellent excellent form. He pointed the toe well. The ball had great trajectory and hang time. Uh, It was it was outstanding. But that was home. The point is like you you don't turn the basketball over in our program. That's what you just don't do that. Um, And so that's one of my favorite stories. That and then. Uh, the miracle on ice story, where Coach Linders trying to explain to everybody what what the miracle is on mm-hmm. ice, and ha- and basically ninety nine percent of our roster had never seen the miracle miracle before, um, and so they don't understand like you know who do you play for when they're running sprints, and uh, I'll never forget this. He wants the guys to give character. You know, he's like, uh, "Who do you play for, Coach?" You know, I, I play for the University of Boston, Coach Deweese. Who do you play for? And Deweys, he's never seen a movie either. God bless movie. And he goes, uh, Baltimore. <laughs> At that point, we all just kind of broke out laughing because it's like, Baltimore, Baltimore doesn't have a hockey team. Nobody plays hockey in Baltimore. You could have said Minnesota, you know, you could have said Colorado, you know. You was in a lot a lot of college programs, but I don't know if there's a Baltimore program. So we call it instead of the miracle on ice, it's the Baltimore miracle now in our program.
0: Yeah. So did he uh, did he tell that story before a game or when was that?
2: No, this, was early, this was early in the preseason of practice.
0: Oh, okay.
2: He's talking to our guys about becoming a team and, and, what, and the type of stuff you have to go through to become a team. Um, and so there's there's so many times that it, every single practice is full of life lessons. Uh, every film session that you go in, and mm-hmm. he spends – I can honestly say this. You know, I, I played for Coach Meyer. Coach Meyer spent a lot of time with you in film, helping you develop as a player. That's where I learned the value of film. Was back in the day, we didn't even have DVDs. We just had VHSs. But Jeff Jeff Linder spends more time with each individual on this team in film sessions, private film sessions, than any coach I've ever been around, and that that can be attributed to a lot of the growth that these guys have. Is because you, there's a ways to learn, right? You can see it, you know, you can feel it, and then you can hear it. And we go on the court. You got to feel that. You got to feel what that practice is like. You're going to hear the instruction every day, and when you get to go back and watch it on film, and and Relive all the things that, that you did that can help you become a better basketball player. That's where I think you can get exponential growth, and that's where Coach Leonard's is amazing.
0: So who's the who's the most serious person on the staff, and who's the goofiest?
2: Oh, uh, Coach Deweese is by far. Like he is, a, he is a, he's a, easy. He's super serial, man. He is a he is a serious dude, and he's been around Coach Linder the longest. But that guy is a steely eyed. Every day he walks in, he's got his green sludge, probably the healthiest drink I've ever. I eat like breakfast burritos every day, and probably probably like a you know two cups of coffee, and a Mountain Dew for breakfast. And Coach and, and Coach Deweese will walk in with this huge plastic cup full of nice greens, spinach, you know, all the stuff that you know people like me who are unhealthy hate um, every single day. But he is he's as serious as they come, and he's dialed in, and that's. That's a lot of the reason why he's here with Coach Leonard. I mean, Coach Leonard is a serious dude, too. Uh, Coach V, Coach V has all the stories. So if you want any story, just, just go ask, you know, Pop-Pop, just go ask Big Velvet. He'll, uh, he'll tell you every story that you need to know about anything in, in, in the history of Wyoming basketball and how, how he played and all the places he's been. Uh, and then you, you'll, you'll be surprised about this, but Coach O'Flanagan is a movie buff. Yeah. That guy, uh, me and O'Flanagan revive a lot on the movies because we're big movie quote guys. And uh, I could spout something off and he'll just give me one of those looks like, yeah, I got you. So Coach O'Flanagan, you know, very, very underrated movie guy. So, I, Riley Grabo is Riley just a serial killer.
0: Oh, what is he's that?
2: The, yeah, what does that mean? Killer. He's like, he's the scout chief serial. I mean, he's just a killer, man. Every, he's the closer. He's okay. why the Wyoming Cowboys basically you know, won every close game in 2015 when they went to the NCAA tournament. Because if you foul Riley Grable, that's two points. And he just his look never changes. I love it. He's the most serious. He, he's, he's, you look at Riley Grable and sometimes you just get scared because you just don't know what's going through his mind. So just just a so note to everybody else. Watch out for Riley Grable out there. That guy's when he's on the loose, you just never know what's going to happen.
0: So I, I wanted to ask about you for a second. I, and I know I've asked you this before, but for people that don't know. You know, you were, you were a head coach at Missouri Western, and, and you come back to to Wyoming. For you, you know, why did you ultimately decide to come back to, to Wyoming and 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 be on Jeff's staff?
2: Well, one, i have known Coach Leonard through my best friend Steve Smiley, who's at Northern Colorado. Steve and I played college ball together. He redshirted, I didn't, so he got five years, I got four. Um, Steve and I just man, I, that, I, that's my guy. So, godfather of his firstborn son, Madden Smiley. And when when he was working with Jeff, I got to study that program. So I'd always call Steve and say, you know, what are you guys do? tell me some stuff that's unique. You know, when you're when you're a lifelong learner, you're someone who just lives the game every day. You're always trying to find ways to get better. Um, and so they were they were some some of the best offensive, they're always one of the best offensive teams in the country, and then they're always one of the best defensive teams in the country, from guarding three point line at at Northern at Colorado. So we went down to a couple practices and studied them. Uh, but to have the opportunity, what people don't realize is, is just there's only one university here in the state of Wyoming. So it's not like you live in, in, in Illinois where you got 13 Division One universities and, you know, well, maybe that's a dream job or maybe this is one. Or maybe you get a chance to come back to the university in, in the state of Wyoming where you're born and raised. But those things, they, they never happen. I mean, they very rarely line up. Um, and so for that to happen along with a guy that I knew was, a, was an excellent basketball coach um, who my best friend could vouch for, because at the end of the day, you don't, you, you don't know people unless you know somebody who knows them and, and has, has spent time with them. Uh, it was a no-brainer for me to to leave and come back to the state.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, And, and it, just a chance to raise my daughter and, and you know, newborn son here in May uh, in the state of Wyoming. You know, for, for God willing, for however long that lasts, it, it, it'll be a blessing. Because it'll be a chance for my family to experience what I experienced growing up. Which is living in, in, in what I consider the greatest state in the United States of America. Because it's peaceful, it's isolated. Uh, the people out here care about everything Wyoming. Um, and you just don't, there's not a lot of jobs out there where people actually care about it. And that's what Tom Berman right now, man, he's, he's I'm in the double A, the lights are off. The Fennis Dembo, you know, jersey is, and, and Kenny Sanders jersey is lit up next to the Wyoming state flag. And Tom Berman's up here running laps. I mean, you talk about it. You talk about a cool deal, man. You got your AD up here just grinding still, you know, in, in the middle of the dark in the
0: double A. Uh, there's, there's nothing like this. So, why are, y'all, why are y'all sitting with the lights off? The I don't a? know.
2: That's kind of creepy in itself. I have no idea. The <laughs> lights just are not. I, you know, Coach Berman got, probably could have taught him off if he wanted to, but maybe he's got some sort of kinesthetic feel that none of us have. I think he's probably ran every single step in the double A. So, um, and for me, it's just a game to see if he's going to bump his knee
0: out on one of these chairs. Yeah, I was about to say, I hope I don't uh, have, to re- <laughs> have to report on a story about how Wyoming's AD injured himself because <laughs> he didn't turn the lights on. It's well,
2: and to that point, like, he came in the office this morning and, you know, people, say, people, people have talked about him crazy in, in a world that's a transfer culture and a, and a culture where you're on to the next thing you know, as soon as it pops up. and He's been here 15 years, and, and he loves it here. He loves it here because you know what? People that are from Wyoming that get it, they love it here too, and they don't ever want to leave. And, and that's the type of leadership you have. You have stability in leadership. You know, you're going to have stability in coaches. coaches you're going to have stability in programs. Like I said, one of our guys in the transfer portal, that's a big, big deal.
0: Uh, and I have to ask you about, about the hard hat, uh, Sundance, uh, because I know that's, that's something that uh, you know, has circulated on social media. And I'm, I'm assuming probably most Wyoming basketball fans have seen it if they follow any of you guys on, on Twitter. But um, what's the story behind that?
2: Well, a lot of stuff is, just gets kind of organically created, right? And you know, the you know, state of Wyoming is, is built on hard work. I mean, that's the foundation of this place. I mean, my, my dad was a manual labor guy his entire life. Uh, my mom's an educator for 36 years in the state of Wyoming. You got to get up every day and do your job. Um, and that's the hard hat lunch pill was, was raised around a lot of, a lot of my teammates in high school had a lot of family that worked in the coal mines and not all, not every, not every methane and coal job is easy. All right. You don't get to go sit behind a desk when you're working those jobs. You got to go put in some work. Um, so the hard hat thing is just, it's just a replica of who we are and who we want to be uh, from, from a, from a game to game standpoint. And then, and then it's, it, it kind of, Signifies who the state of who the state of Wyoming is. Everybody out here is putting their hard hat on um, and going to work. And so, when when John Grigsby, who who is an unbelievable, unbelievable energy juice guy, character guy, um, is what you want out of a walk on and a guy who can who, who can who can build bench charisma uh, and locker room leadership. You give him the hard hat and you put the ownership on the players as far as who they want to elect after every game. And that's not put, that's not picking the guy who scores the points because it's easy to go be a guy who scores all the points, and, and that's the fun stuff. It's the guy who makes the winning plays. It's the guy who dives the most on the floor from loose balls, who takes the most charges, who gets the most rebounds, uh, who, who gets the offensive rebound and kicks it out to an extra guy, makes the extra pass. Those winning plays uh, become winning culture. And when you have a winning culture, that separates you from from a lot of these teams out there. Uh, because that, it's just hard to develop culture if you, ha- if you don't have consistent human beings every single day. And so when Grigsby took that over, uh, it was awesome to watch him in the locker room just kind of tap that hard hat and then give his little speech and tell him who got the hard hat for the game. And, you know, a lot of those guys are like, I don't want to wear the hard hat to the media room. You wear the dang hard hat,
0: brother,
2: <laughs> right? That's what you do. And so our guys really took ownership in it. It's fun watching them do it after the game.
0: So to be clear, y- y'all give it out after each game or is it each week or what?
2: Yeah, each win. So, okay. um, you know, even though you can play well in a loss, you know, that's, that's a day you probably didn't do your job to the best of your ability, but after each win, uh, we're going to, we're going to give that out to our guys. You're gonna, our guys are going to celebrate the culture of winning plays and, and winning culture.
0: I'll get you out on this Sundance. Um, when does the off season start? Like, are you giving guys some time off or, or when does the off season start for you guys?
2: Yeah, you have to give guys time off, especially in basketball. I mean, look, this season this season starts June 3rd for us. Yeah. So, you know, the guys are going to be – the finals week is going to end May 14th. Uh, they're going to get three weeks off at the end of May, and we're going to start back up June 7th. But basically, like Coach Center says, we need to have a celebration of basketball on, on June 7th because uh, that's when that's when our season starts. And that's when winning programs really really gain an extra advantage on, on, on other teams um, is because they're going to start in June, and that thing's not going to end until hopefully – You know, late March, early April. And so for us, our guys have got a couple weeks off now because they need it. They they just have to get the the overall swelling and inflammation and just body wear uh, back to a neutral. So Jimmy can take them for the first couple weeks here in April. Uh, We'll start back up again in April. We'll go four-week, a hard four-week segment here in April uh, where Jimmy will really work them in the weight room uh, and really develop a plan for how guys can change their bodies or maintain if they need it. Uh, and then we'll get them on the court with a lot of individual skill stuff. So it'll be really broken down and isolated to each individual for the next four weeks here in April. And then they go to finals week. They get three weeks off uh, to go home, which isn't really off. They just got to stay sharp. Uh, and then we come back in June for eight weeks and hit it hard for eight weeks in, in our June segment. They go back home in August and then they come back August, 20, 21st and school starts the 23rd, 24th. Uh, and then, and then that's when we, it's not, you know, most sports they're really segmented and they're either winter or their fall. Yeah, we're, we are we are winter all the way through spring, all the way through fall. <laughs> it, it doesn't stop for us. So that's why you got to have everyday live-it type dudes. Uh, we're fortunate to have really good kids in our program that love to be around the game of basketball.
0: Thanks to Sundance for his time and his insight on the Cowboys season. Um, just hearing the energy and enthusiasm in its voice, it's easy to see why he's wallowing self-proclaimed hype, man. Uh, But as always, be sure to check out Trib.com and PokesAuthority.com For all of our Wyoming athletics coverage You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter At PokesAuthority You can follow me on Twitter At Davis E. Potter Uh, This podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify And Omni So please subscribe, download it And give us that 5-star rating on your preferred platform You can also find it online By going to our website and clicking on our Pokescast link, which is updated Every time a new episode is published Uh, I want to thank Brandon for joining me and as always thanks to all of you guys for listening and we'll talk to you again next week